Hey, everybody, get ready for an informative episode from Parents' Rights in Education. I'm Suzanne Gallagher, and I'm looking forward to our time together. We stand and defend the fundamental rights of all parents to raise their children and firmly believe children belong to their families, not the state, not the teachers, the teachers' union, or any other bureaucrat. I invite you to visit our website, parentsrightsined.com. Sign up to receive our news alerts. Like our Facebook page. Join or form a Parents' Rights and Education affiliate chapter. Making your voice heard is always easier with others. Just grab a couple friends and you're there. We will help with training, information, branding, and contact referrals. Let's start a Facebook group for you. Submit the chapter inquiry form on our website, parentsrightsined.com. Hey everybody, this is Suzanne Gallagher. And today is part eight, social emotional learning data harms your child. Uh, Before I get started today, though, I just wanted to tell you about some very exciting things that are happening with parents' rights in education. We are expanding. So, so, so exciting. We're working with groups in Washington State, Illinois, and now Texas, Florida, Uh, Parents are getting involved as well, and we'll be setting them up soon. So uh, this is a really exciting time. We have pages on our website uh, dedicated to these states, Uh, also Facebook groups and pages, whichever they choose to do. We'd love to have you join us. No matter where you live, there is a need for parents' rights in education. Today I'm sharing with you a white paper That was published in March of 2019, titled K-12 Education as the New Age Nanny State by Karen Ephraim, MD, and Jane Robbins, JD. A link to their document is provided in our podcast notes. Thank you for using this resource to learn more about social-emotional learning. We are almost finished with the series, just a couple episodes left, and they are very troubling, including this one today data harm to students from SEL. Yeah, data, right? (laughs) Data. Uh, It sounds so benign, doesn't it? But we sure don't want data on us, and we absolutely don't want it on our kids. And we especially don't want it to be shared all around between government agencies. The key to understanding the threat is understanding the nature of modern statewide longitudinal data systems. The acronym for that is SLDS, SLDS, Longitudinal Data Systems. And since 2002, the federal government has incentivized the building of massive SLDS so that pre-K through 12 student data can be collected and tracked. Most recently, USED's Race to the Top program awarded over $4 billion dollars to states that agreed to certain federally approved education innovations, including enhanced student data systems. One justification offered for this data grab and data tracking is to enable teachers to look back throughout a student's career to see the results of all of his interactions with the school system. 
so far. If a student had a rough sixth grade year, perhaps, with a disciplinary suspension, that difficulty would be preserved in the SLDS for all subsequent teachers to learn about. The SLDS is the end of the clean slate. What kinds of data are stored in the SLDS? Well, it's only slightly hyperbolic to say that whatever parents know about their child, the SLDS probably knows it too. And they maybe even know more because parents are not always told, right? A state's SLDS data dictionary may contain hundreds of data points, including race, ethnicity, income level, discipline records, grades and test scores, disabilities, mental health and medical history, counseling records, and more. SEL data, including assessments and evaluations performed by whatever personnel are designated to do so, would certainly be included in this cache. Thus, any SEL information would endure, at least throughout the student's pre-K through 12 career. Even worse, that data would be easily shareable outside the school itself to post-secondary and other sectors. State SLDS use Common Education Data Standards, or CEDS, created by the National Center for Education Statistics. The point of CEDS is to streamline the exchange, comparison, and understanding of data within and across uh, P through 20 preschool through the workforce, institutions, and sectors. Wow, preschool through the workforce? Thus, SEL data in the system could follow the student into post-secondary education and even into the workforce or the military. Moreover, federal law, primarily through guidance and grants, encourages linking student data to that in other state government agencies. Wealthy private foundations, such as the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation and the Annie E. Casey Foundation, have also donated millions of dollars to enable such data linkages in an effort to yield powerful insights that promote a more holistic understanding of children's experiences. The majority of states now share education data with non-education agencies, such as Departments of Labor and Human Services. Obviously, the insights gleaned from SEL data would be of particular interest in such a situation. Via the 2012 gutting of regulations under the Federal Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, or FERPA, you've probably heard of FERPA, this data might also be disclosed to entities in other states or countries and to unlimited researchers who are interested in the emotional makeup of children and adolescents. And under the relaxed regulations, such disclosure of personally identifiable information could occur without parental consent or even parental knowledge. 
This could also include sharing sensitive data without consent between the federal government and international agencies and between government and private entities. SEL proponents, such as the Commission and CASEL, are greedy for SEL data. The Commission called for the use of data evidence to build and strengthen partnerships among research institutions, community organizations, and schools. Basically, any place where children can be monitored. Since the report called for intentionally teaching specific skills and competencies, as we've learned in the past, and infusing them in academic content and in all aspects of the school setting, such as recess, lunchroom, hallways, extracurricular activities, not just in standalone programs or lessons, data from all those realms will have to be collected to justify program funding. As it turns out, an education technology company has already developed software to allow bus drivers, janitors, cafeteria workers, and other staffers to monitor the emotional states of students in all areas of school. So with this technology, the plague of amateur psychoanalysis in schools will just spread further. While the Commission's final report twice mentioned protecting student privacy, it didn't use the word consent. Not at all. Perhaps the Commission was concerned that requiring parental consent might interfere with the envisioned robust data-sharing agreements between schools and their community partners. The possibility or probability that this data will at some point be hacked is significant. As revealed in two hearings of the U.S. House Oversight and Government Reform Committee, the United States Education Department has shown itself utterly incapable of protecting student information. The same can be said of multiple other federal agencies. When the student data is not simply the type stored in the SLDS, but takes the form of fine-grained data generated as students interact with SEL software, the calculation becomes even more troubling. For one thing, it's not clear that such data exhaust is even an education record, subject to FERPA's minimal protections. Another company, highlighted by the Philanthropy Roundtable, boasts of collecting 100,000 data points per student per hour. For another, depending on the state law, the data may belong to the corporate vendor rather than the student or the school. It thus may find its way to the great cloud-based data supermarket, where brokers buy and sell reams of information to be combined with other data streams and used for purposes unimagined by innocent students and their families. The FBI is already issuing public service announcements about the dangers to student and family data privacy related to education technology. Even worse, 
Chinese companies are buying up U.S. companies that store enormous amounts of personal data on American children and adults. For example, Chinese gaming company NetDragon recently bought Edmodo, a comprehensive digital platform used in thousands of U.S. classrooms to enable teachers and students to create groups, assign homework, schedule quizzes, manage progress, and more. Edmodo claims to have data on more than 90 million users, and it is tightly integrated with Google Apps for Education and Microsoft OneNote and Office. The Federalist quoted William Carter, Deputy Director of the Technology Policy Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, about the difficulties of protecting privacy when foreign companies are involved. Carter acknowledged that enforcing privacy regulations domestically has been a struggle and might even be more difficult with companies that don't have a physical U.S. presence. He told Ed Surge, it is not just an EdTech U.S. or China question, but the lack of transparency in the data that is being gathered by online platforms and the way that it is used makes it really hard to bring an enforcement action for privacy violations. It's beyond the scope of this paper to examine all the increasing gaps in the privacy and security of student data. The bottom line is that any data, SEL or otherwise, included in an SLDS or in the custody of corporate vendors is likely to remain there potentially forever and might be disclosed to all manner of other entities with their own agendas and often without consent. The unique nature of SEL data raises troubling questions about its potential uses in a managed economy. The goal of using SEL for workforce development is made clear in the OECD study. The OECD makes a strong argument to governments that its assessment of socio-emotional skills can produce indicators of socio-emotional outcomes. As such, it makes the case that government investment in SELS through departments of education will generate a substantial return in the shape of productive human capital. Indeed, the OECD study will be spearheaded by the Ohio State University Center for Human Resource Research, which exists to provide substantive analyses of economic, social, and psychological aspects of individual labor market behavior to examining the impact of government programs and policies. The assessment of SELS is therefore to be taken through the logic of human resource management and the analysis of labor market behaviors. Mark Tucker's dream of revamping all U.S. education for workforce development is alive and well, and SEL is a key component. Writing in support of the Trump administration's idea of merging the U.S. Departments of Education and Labor, 
Anthony Carnavale, one of NCEE's board members at the time of the Dear Hillary letter, said that all students should have required career counseling that assesses individual talents and interests, values and personality traits, and ties each of these to alternative occupational pathways. Carnivali and other proponents of the corporate government education and workforce model argue that it's the job of public schools to assess values and personality traits and align them to prospective career paths in the service to business. The final commission report discussed the connection of SAEL to Common Core. The document also repeatedly linked SEL to career readiness, including discussion of the mindset scholars network that is developing SEL curricula aligned to college and career ready standards. This standardization of SEL templates and their alignment to national common core standards using effective data mining and data tags to inculcate government-determined social, emotional, and academic knowledge and skills that high school graduates need to be prepared for success in school, the workforce, and life is difficult to square with the supposed intention to calibrate to each student's and school's individual strengths and needs. Standardization and individualization don't normally fit together. As more states and nations emulate 1930s Europe in having government collude with corporations for workforce development, including pushing students into career paths as early as sixth grade, it's reasonable to ask how a student's SEL assessments might be used. Would they show aptitude or lack of aptitude? for a particular endeavor, thus helping channel him or her in a particular direction to the exclusion of other careers? The goal in such a system shifts from promoting the individual liberty of the student to promoting the good of corporations and the managed economy. Government data collection and sharing does not set well with most people. It has always been my observation schools and universities miss the mark when it comes to guiding students toward lucrative career paths. We are not opposed to most career and vocation assessments by individual choice. However, individual data collection for any purpose is dangerous. The idea that a minor's personality deficits can be charted and stored in data which follows them to high school and career without knowledge or permission is wrong. We want to see this practice either drastically modified to reflect individual choice or discontinued by government entities entirely. Tune in next time for our final SEL episode when we learn how SEL labels your child. I'm Suzanne Gallagher, and this is Parents' Rights Now.
forward this to your friends. Do you know any parents who don't have any time to read lengthy emails? That's what the podcast is for. You have complete control over your access to this information. And you can share it. Share, share, share. Please send it to your friends and invite them to subscribe to Parents' Rights now. Don't forget to register for the Northwest Safe School Summit featuring Walt Heyer, Heidi St. John, Bernadette Broyles Esquire, and Rebecca Friedrich. Check out events on our website. Parents' Rights in Education is a tax-deductible, non-profit organization. We rely solely on your contributions. Help stop sexualization of our students in public schools. Together, we can do this. See you next time to learn more about parents' rights now.